Now today we're going to continue our summer series, which is called Living Hope. And it's a study of the book of 1 Peter. And the title of today's message is A Passion for Holiness. It's based on 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Now last week, Peter emphasized walking in hope. And now today he's going to emphasize walking in holiness. Now the root meaning of the word translated holy uh, simply means different. It just means being different. Not different for different sake, not weird for weird sake, but different. To be holy means to be set apart, set apart from sin and impurity and set apart for God's purposes. Now, holiness uh, means being totally devoted to or dedicated to God, set aside for his special purpose and set apart from sin and its influence. We're to be set apart and different, not blending into the crowd. Uh, What makes us different are God's qualities in our lives. Uh, Our focus and our priorities are his. We march to a different drummer. We, We have a different set of priorities. We are more and more like Jesus as time goes on. And all of this is in direct contrast to our old ways. Uh, Paul writes, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new person. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have uh, become new. And the anti-God atmosphere around us is what the Bible calls the world. Whenever you see the Bible talk about the world, it's not talking about the globe or planet Earth. It's talking about this anti-God environment in which we live. It's always pressing in on us, trying to get us to conform. Now, What's the first thing you think of when you think of living a holy life? How, how many of you, uh, you, know, you don't have to raise your hands, uh, but you know, when you read the title, A Passion for Holiness, you're like, oh my goodness. What's the first thing people tend to think of when they think of holy? Uh, you think of things like dull or boring or stuffy or joyless or monotonous. Uh, the biblical definition of holiness is the exact opposite it is the most exciting life possible. It is a, it is a dynamic life. It is uh, set apart for God's special purposes. There is no greater journey. There is no greater adventure than living a life of holiness in pursuit of holiness, a passion for holiness following Christ. It's like being set apart as a member of a team or of an army. Uh, summer of 1978, I competed in Europe as a member of an American track team. And I just remember wearing the American uniform of the United States and, and wearing the uniform and walking around some of the great um, uh, cities of Europe. There was this feeling that we were part of something special. We were set apart for a special purpose. Um, people who are in uniform for the military, uh, when they walk into a room, you immediately think they're set apart for a special purpose. Um, growing up, my parents were not perfect parents, but they instilled this thing in our family about following Christ. Um, it was not a joy. It was, it was a joy. It was not a burden. It was exciting, not boring. It was fun. It was not a dull routine. There is joy in a dynamic, set-apart life of holiness, set apart for God's purposes. Uh, John Piper writes, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. 
The more we are consumed by his purpose for our lives, the more we are consumed by wanting to be more and more like Jesus, um, sin has less of an attraction to us because our, uh, the attractiveness is there in Christ. So today, Peter is going to give us five motivations to live a holy life. And the first one is the second coming of Christ, uh, the second coming of Jesus. It says in verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, let's just leave this up here for a moment. Uh, this phrase, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Um, in the first century, this carried with it the idea of gathering up your robe, tucking into your belt so you're ready for action. You're ready for battle or you're ready to run or you're ready to move. Uh, a comparable English idiom would be pull yourself together. That's what Peter's saying. Pull your, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, uh, pull yourselves together. Focus on the second coming of Christ and pull yourself together in anticipation of the great event. Um, just yesterday, I learned a fascinating thing about pigeons. You're going to be so glad you're watching or you came to church here today. Do you know why pigeons' heads bob when they walk? They are actually refocusing their eyes every single time. They have very bad depth perception. And so uh, every step... They're bobbing their heads to refocus, refocus, refocus. And that's exactly what Peter is talking about here. Keep refocusing on eternity. Keep refocusing on the second coming of Christ. Uh, you live for what you look forward to. You tend to live for what you look forward to. What are you looking most forward to right now in your life? And there are many wonderful things you can look forward to. Well, that will tend to be what you live for. You live for what you look forward to. And so the main thing we should look forward to is eternity. The main thing we should look forward to is, is the second coming of Christ, Jesus returning. And as we focus again and again, just like that pigeon head bobbing every day, refocus on the second coming of Christ. Layla Gifty Akita writes, to desire heaven is to delight in holiness. Uh, Doris Idioma uh, Basil said, are you ready for the rapture of the church? Are you ready for heaven? Our Lord Jesus Christ now wants all Christians to get into a sense of urgency in our preparation for his second coming. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 24. He said, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at their proper time? Let's hold that there for just a second. Their household, uh, the people around you, in, in your world, in your sphere of influence, you are called by God to go to heaven and to take your household, not just your family, but the people you work with, you go to school with, uh, what we call it here, your oikos is, is the Greek word for household. Uh, to, he, he's put us in charge of giving the people around us their spiritual food at the, at the proper time, to influence them for Christ, to share Christ with them, to share spiritual food. Verse 46 now. 
Uh, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've told you this story before, but my dad, growing up in southern Virginia, my dad was a legendary deer hunter. I mean, he was just a legend. And his son was a great disappointment to everybody. They thought, how can you have the same blood running through your veins? You know, my dad was just, the, 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 just a legendary hunter in two states, both in Michigan and in, and in Virginia. And then, there was, and then there was me. And part of my problem was I wasn't all that interested in it. And so uh, my dad's idea of deer hunting, it was not just a bunch of guys sitting around a campfire saying it doesn't get any better than this. My, it was a mission for him. It, it was a mission. And so my dad's idea of deer hunting was he'd stick you next to a tree at 6 in the morning when it's about 20 degrees, below freezing, stick you next to a tree at 6 in the morning, and you'd never see him again until 6 that night, 12 hours. You'd have your little lunch packed with you there, and you'd just be standing by a tree for 12 hours. What could be more exciting to a 14-year-old than that? And uh, I tell you, what was more exciting than that is, is I developed the prayer life. I got to know God because it was the only thing to do at that particular time. And so it was actually a, a good thing within my life. Uh, but uh, my dad, he would frisk me before we go out to the deer stand because make sure I didn't sneak a book with me because I, you know, I'd read a book out there. Um, as soon as he left, I'd put my gun down. I'd lay there. I'd daydream. I'd look around. But I tell you what happened. About quarter of six, when the sun was setting and I knew he'd come to pick me up, I'd get very vigilant. And I'd pick up my gun and I'd be looking all around. I'd be completely prepared. My dad was like a ninja in the woods. It was like spooky. He'd just be turning around. There he'd be standing right there, you know, just slip through the woods. Because I wanted, I loved my dad, and I, uh, I, I wanted him to find me doing what I was supposed to do when he returned. Uh, Kimberly and I, we've been married almost 37 years, and I still try to show off for her all the time. Um, when I run now, it's not really a run. 80% of the time I walk and 20% of the time I run. So I, I, I walk for a number of minutes, then I run for a minute or two, and then walk. So about 20% of the time uh, running, 80% of the time walking. But if I'm running, walking around the park in front of our house, if I see her come out the door of our house, all of a sudden, I start running. I always start running. Uh, if I'm out, out for a walk and I see her car in the distance, I start running. Why? Because after 37 years, I'm still trying to show off to my wife. I still want her to see me running when she sees me. And that's what we're to do. We're to be prepared, living in a way that will honor him when Christ returns. That's a motivation for holy living. Number a second motivation is the holiness of God. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Uh, our Heavenly Father wants us to imitate him. When you, when you love God, you, you want to imitate him. When you, when you love him, you want to imitate him because he's our beloved Heavenly Father. He is moral, so we should be moral. Uh, he's merciful, so we should be merciful. Uh, Jesus sacrificed himself for others, so we should sacrifice ourselves uh, for others. And then a third motivation is the word of God. Uh, Peter says in verse 16, four of the most powerful words for any Christian, for it is written. 
For it is written, God's word is such a tremendous uh, motivator for holy living. It is written, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Uh, David writes in Psalm 119, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then uh, sneaking ahead, just a preview of next Sunday, uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Um, uh, crave it so that we will grow up into our salvation. Verse 3, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. But what a wonderful thing. When you taste the goodness of God, I love that praise course we were just singing. Uh, how good God has been to us. How many, how many of you at, at, at home or in your watch party or right here would just raise your hand and say, God has been good to you? Yeah, there's hard things, but when you look over your life, even some of the hard things, he's turned it around for good within our lives. And when you taste the goodness of God, you get a taste for that, you want more of it. Our youngest uh, grandchild, number eight, um, Felicity, uh, she has uh, gone beyond, she's developed a taste for milk, just like uh, Peter's talking about, but she has now developed a taste for what's inside of Easter eggs. Uh, now, now, her parents feed her very well, vegetables and fruit and everything, but at the end of the, end of the meal, there's a, there's a tiny treat from within an, an Easter egg. And uh, here's her response when she hears the word uh, Easter egg. Do you want an Easter egg? Do you want an Easter egg for this? <laughs> What's in your Easter egg? You guys want to see that again, don't you? Okay, we got 20, we got 10 seconds. Let's, let's watch, watch, watch that one more time. Okay, here we go. Do you want an Easter egg? Do you want an Easter egg for this? <laughs> Okay, that is a passion for Easter eggs right there. And when you saw the title of today's message, A Passion for Holiness, did you go, ah! Start going. Ah! That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, a, a passion for holiness. And then the fourth motivation is the judgment of God. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, let's just hold that verse up there for a while, and let's work backwards. First of all, reverent fear. He's not talking about being terrified of God here. He's talking about a wholesome reverence and respect for God, which is the basis for godly living. Just, just an, a wholesome reverence. A wholesome respect, not cringing terror. We don't need to be afraid of him. He's our, he's our heavenly dad. He's, he's our Abba Father. But a wholesome reverence and respect for God. Um, it is the fear of disappointing 
your heavenly father. I remember the worst thing that my, my dad would do to me growing up is, uh, I love my parents, and, 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 and I'd asked that I wanted to do something and, and do a particular activity, and sometimes they'd just say no, but sometimes this would be his approach. He would say, you know, Glenn, you can go ahead and do that, but if you do it, it'll break my heart, and it'll break your mother's heart. I'm like, no, no, don't tell, don't tell me to do that. Tell me not to do it, and I'll sneak out and do it. But don't tell me that I will disappoint you. But it's a fear of disappointing your, your heavenly father. Let's work backwards now to this word foreigners. Uh, the old King James translation. I, I love the way it puts this. It, it uses the word, instead of foreigners, it uses the word sojourners. Use the word sojourners. Someone who resides temporarily in a place. A sojourner is somebody who resides temporarily in a place. A sojourner is someone who is just passing through this world. He says, live like you're foreigners, like you are, you are sojourners, simply passing through. What if um, you heard that I, Kimberly and I, we went on vacation, I went on vacation this, this summer, and uh, say I booked, Kimberly and I booked a hotel for a week, okay? So just one week in a hotel. And what if you heard that I began to invest all of our life savings in improving the room, the hotel room that we were in. Got new carpet for it. I got a brand new humongous TV. Uh, hotel room, um, you know, just, just fancy uh, curtains. Uh, let, let's say I bought expensive art to adorn this hotel room uh, that we're in. Just, just put all of my life investments into that hotel room. How many of you would think that I'm crazy? You say, come on, Glenn, you're just there for a week. Why are you investing all that in something that you're temporarily in? And God says the exact same thing. Don't give your heart to this life. Don't give all your passion to this life. Don't, don't get me wrong, live it, enjoy it, uh, but, but, but live for eternity because that's your permanent residence. We are sojourners. We are just temporarily passing through this life. And then moving back up, who judges each person's work impartially. Okay. Now, what is this judgment that Peter's talking about? Now, this is, it is not a judgment for sin. If you've committed your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is not a judgment uh, for sin. Uh, Christ has taken care of that. This is not what we call the great white throne judgment that you read about in Revelation chapter 20 where people come before God and those that have Christ in their heart are written in this thing called the Lamb, Jesus, the Lamb's book of life. And when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and those people that you just saw in there, they've committed their life to Christ and now they've made it public through baptism and Jesus writes their name in his book of life. Your name is written there now. And when your name is written there, you go, go to heaven. But anybody whose name is not found written there will spend eternity in hell. And, and at, at, in just a couple minutes, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a chance to know whether you're online or whether you're here today. I'm going to give you a chance before you walk out of here, before you turn off this, uh, this broadcast, that you, you will know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But this is not the judgment that Peter is talking about here. It's a judgment of a believer's works, what they've done to serve God. It has nothing to do with salvation except for the fact that salvation, if it's true salvation, if you've really received Christ, is supposed to produce 
good works. Uh, Paul wrote to Titus, he said, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And then in verse 12, he says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, when we trusted Christ, uh, God forgave all of our sins and he declared us holy. He declared us righteous in his son. Uh, saints are called the holy ones. You are a saint if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When he looks at you, he does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Our sins have already been judged on the cross. Therefore, they cannot be held against us. Peter writes later in chapter 2, verse 24, Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Anybody want to say amen to that? Your sins were judged on the cross of Jesus when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior. But when Jesus returns, we're going to go through what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And each of us are going to be judged for our works in service to God. And we'll receive a reward for those works. This is a, this is a family judgment. It's a, it's a loving father dealing with his beloved uh, children. As a matter of fact, this word that uh, Peter uses uh, back at the original, back in verse thir uh, 17, that, that word that he used for judges is actually translated from the Greek word that means to judge in order to find something good. That's what the word that Peter uses for judge here, to judge in order for the purpose of to find something good. That's what this judgment is. Uh, Paul writes about it in Romans 14. He says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves uh, to, to, to God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Second uh, Corinthians 7, verse 1, a couple of chapters later, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And then the fifth and final um, uh, motivation for a, having a passion for holy living is uh, the grace or the love of God. The love of God or the grace of God. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Let's hold that there for just a second. He says, don't live your life for perishable things, temporary things, uh, and don't be careful not to slip into the empty way of life that has been handed down to us from our ancestors. Uh, there are four things um, that we are tempted to get from our parents, to pick up from our, from our ancestors, from our parents. I, I, I was tempted to pick it up from my parents as well. None, none of us parents are perfect, and we tend to pass this on uh, to our children, and, and we tend to either receive it from the last generation or we pass it on to the next generation for things that are empty. They are perishable. They are temporary. It's a crazy thing 
But we start asking these questions in grade school. I, I don't know if you're like me. Maybe I'm the only guy here. But these are the questions you start asking early in life. You look around the classroom and you say, who's the best athlete? Who's the best athlete? Who's the best kickball person playing kickball at recess? Who's the best athlete in the room? Uh, who's the best looking in the room? It's amazing at how early in age we start asking a question. Okay, who, who's, who's, who's the best athlete? Who's the best looking? Uh, who's the smartest? We, you know, we look around the room. Okay, who's the smartest uh, in the room? We start that in an early age. Who's the richest? Who wears the nicest clothes? Who lives in the nicest home? Who's the best athlete? Who's the best looking? Who's the smartest? Who's the, the richest? Now, let me show you where that gets us, what Peter is talking about here. Uh, who's considered the greatest athlete in, in history? Anybody want to shout out a possible answer? You know, LeBron James or Jim Brown or, you know. Well, this is the one that I've seen in polls and, and that I personally believe because he does track as well. So that's why he put my thumb on the scale there. Jim Thorpe. Um, and, and some of you that are younger probably don't even know the name, uh, J Jim Thorpe. Uh, his Native American name was Bright Path. He was a Native American from Oklahoma. In 1912, he won the Olympic gold in both the pentathlon and the decathlon. He also played professional football, professional basketball, and professional baseball. Okay, who's the best-looking person of all time? Now, this is incredibly subjective, incredibly su subjective, but I, I saw this one poll. Who's the best-looking person in all of human history? Anybody want to shout, 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 shout out a name, okay? You know, think, think, okay, here it is. Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn, British actress and fashion icon, was voted the best-looking person in history. Who's the smartest person in history? Guy I had never heard of before. Never heard of this guy, William James Sidus. He was a child prodigy and an American mathematician. He's the first one to formulate and guess that there was this thing called dark matter in the universe. The movie Goodwill Hunting. Anybody seen that movie? It was based on his life. Uh, who is the richest person in history? Anybody want to take a guess on that one? Richest person in history. I'd never heard of this person either. Mansa Musa of Mali. His reign was around 1330 A.D. in Western Africa, and we consider him, historians consider him, the wealthiest man in all of history. Now, these are great people, but how many of you did not know at least two of them, like me, I, two, two or more? How many did not know at least two or more? That, that's true for me. I bet for the younger, many didn't know Jim Thorpe. Uh, unless you watch old movies, you may not have known Audrey Hepburn. So at least half of them, most of us had never heard of. I had never heard of two of, two, of the, two of the four. What's the thing they all have in common? This is, okay, this may be not as nice, but they're all this thing we call dead, okay? They're all dead. Uh, we've forgotten them, sometimes all of them, and, and they're all dead. Now, please don't get me wrong. I like money. I think money's awesome. Uh, I, I like, uh, but the problem with money is it fades. I mean, the stock market, tomorrow, let's see, what's today, Sunday? Tomorrow, tomorrow, stock market. Boom, you could lose half your wealth just, just in a 24-hour time. It, it's fleeting. Athletics is fleeting, you know, how many of you took a deep gulp when you heard that I represented the United States on a track team? You're like, I don't want you representing me, Glenn. I mean, I, my goodness, look, look at, just look at you. Look at you, Glenn. I, I don't want you. Uh, I, I like re reading things from smart people, 
But you know what? I feel like I'm losing brain cells every day that goes on. I'm just losing a few out my ears, I think, is where it goes, or out through my bald head. Uh, good looks. I like good looks. I mean, just look, look at me. You don't, you don't get this body by accident. You know, this, this doesn't just happen, you know. Uh, but here's the thing. I'm joking, of course. Um, they're all fleeting. That's the problem with them. They're all fleeting. They're good things. They're just temporary things. So Peter, back to that verse again, Peter says, don't just live for perishable things. Don't live for an empty way of life. Instead, here's what's going to last forever. The grace of God. The love of God. People and the word of God. The love of God. That's what lasts forever. He continues with verse 19. With the precious, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last time for your sake, out of love for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God, which will be there for you forever. We're saved by the love of God. We, we, we live for the grace of God. Ephesians 2.8, Paul writes, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, I promised you that before we'd, we'd finish, um, I would give you a chance to know that your name is written in that book that I talked about earlier. And it simply involves three words or three phrases. Sorry, thank you, and please. God, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that I could be rescued, so I could be redeemed. And then please, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And now, Show me the path of living a passion for holiness so that I will live not for perishable temporary things, but that I will live for eternal things that are going to be here forever. Pray with me. Uh, oh, oh, dear God, right now, together, where you are watching online or in a watch party or here in the worship center, would you pray with me? I'm sorry for the wrong in my life. Just like Sarah, um, storyteller Sarah uh, showed us that pepper that represents the sin that's in my heart. But thank you, Jesus, for being the antidote to being the vaccine for my sin. And just like she put her finger in and the sin disappeared for, as far as the east is from the west, thank you. And please be my Savior and my Lord from this day forward. Lead me. Give me a passion for holiness and lead me in the path of holiness. And I pray that, and, 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 and Jesus, one more thing. Thank you for your amazing love. And thank you for your amazing grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said.